0: This episode features a book about an 1888 doctor, a guy who's half Indian, and what happens when they kind of find love in unexpected places. And there's a brand new featured podcast. Stay tuned. Hi, and welcome back to Deconstructing Damsels a podcast where we talk about the women, forget about the romance half the time, and mostly I always forget to add what the book is about and plotline. Sorry. This episode will feature The Heart of a Blue Stocking by Renee Dahlia. I got it for 3 dollars on Amazon when it premiered on, I want to say October 20th, somewhere around there. I was actually really looking forward to it, so I'm glad I was able to read it. This is, of course, the 10th episode, and the story features Claire Carlingford, who is a woman doctor in the 1888 area, you know, Victorian London times, as Heaving Bosoms puts it, I don't know. It's a time. And within that time, there is a doctor who goes to, I want to say, the Netherlands and gets her degree and comes back to London and wants to kick ass and take names, which is totally possible, because times are changing, middle class is changing, and the peerage kinda has to follow along or fall down. I mean, there's a whole reason for Downton Abbey, right? Like, they had no money, so they had to marry Americans. And Carlingford is an American. Her dad owns a huge enterprise with multi-prongs, and they do all kinds of manufacturing things. But she wanted to be a doctor, so Claire decided to go to school. She made two friends along the way, which I'll mention in a few minutes. And it seems like this book is the third in a series of Blue Stockings. Goodreads calls it Blue Stockings series. I'm not entirely sure. For once, I am going to remember to give you the summary of the book. I know, right? When you're doing this without the internet, sometimes it can be a little bit tricky. But I got the Kindle app on my phone, so this makes it easier. Here's the little tagline. When an uncommon lawyer meets an unusual doctor, the story must be extraordinary. It's kind of a low level because the story itself is actually pretty interesting. Of course, we're probably not going to get into it because this is my podcast. Then, September 1888, Dr. Claire Carlingford owns the Blue Stocking label. Her tycoon father encouraged her to study and with the support of her two best friends, she took it further than anyone could imagine, graduating a doctor and running her own medical practice. Two of them, in fact, but anyway. But it's not enough for her father. He wants her to take over the business so he can retire. Then his sudden arrest throws the family into chaos and the business into peril. Dr. James Ravi, second son of Lord Dalhenge, wants to use his position as a lawyer to improve conditions for his mother's family in India. When an opportunity arises to work for Carlington Enterprises, one of the richest companies in the world, Ravi leaps with the chance to open his own legal practice but his employment becomes personal as he spends more time with Claire and she learns a secret that could destroy his family. Both Ravi and Claire are used to being outsiders and alone, but as they work together to save their respective families from disaster, it becomes clear that these two misfits might just fit together perfectly. It's actually a pretty good summary. There's some more and I'll get into it within the story, but it's a really nice story about a strong woman and I don't mean that in the, like, you know, 10 years ago, strong woman, kind of monker. What I mean is, is she's strong physically because she's a doctor, but she's also strong mentally and emotionally. She's a very level-headed, very strong-willed person, and that really works for me as a reader, and I really appreciated that. I was glad I actually got to read this story. As I mentioned, I saw it on NetGalley for like months, and I wanted to request it, but I don't have enough points yet. So to put it bluntly, Claire has gone through a lot of shit to be a doctor and it shows. It's not easy in Victorian London to want to be a woman with a career and to be a career like a lawyer or a doctor or anything that has male, male, male written all over it. It kind of shows and, you know, she doesn't deny her skill and then she doesn't look away and say, oh, well I could be, you know, this, that, or the other. She's very pragmatic within her views as well because her father wants her to take over the business. But she also realizes it's 1888 London or, you know, the world, depending as the globalist economy is kind of like starting to boom. And she's realizing that no one would appreciate the fact she's a woman doing her best to run a company. And so she's willing to put that aside because it's not really her passion, but she also knows it will hurt her family in the end. And she doesn't want to do that. She's very loyal to her family. She very much pretends to kind of be a little bit stoic sometimes, but she's definitely very involved You know, she's got her brother, her little younger brother, Will, who she loves beyond belief. And, you know, she's pushing for him to find his own way. But she also thinks he'd work pretty well in the business. And she has no problem getting this across to her dad, who's a pretty intimidating guy, I would say. And I think it really works out well. She's obviously intelligent if she's a doctor. But her intelligence is not just academic. It's also people intelligence. She can see things she understands him. She can read body language and she can read all these little things in her job and it really works out. She's also like socially aware. She's a white woman from America who's a doctor and she's from a very rich family. But it all kind of works in the end because she has two practices. Her father, you know, has her practice in The upper areas, you know, the rich areas, but she also has one in like, I think it was the east end of London, where she deals with people that don't have a lot of money, who are not necessarily white. She goes in and out of that neighborhood, and she loves that neighborhood more than her other job. Her other job basically pays for working in the poverty areas, and I think that's important because women in that time frame were often, the social workers were often the ones that were leading the battles. If you look in the Wilhelmine, I think that's how you say it, era in Germany, you will also find the same thing where social workers were basically acting as police officers and they were acting as the go-between because that was the little part of the private sphere that they could kind of become public with. And I think that's really nice to see that kind of combination and the way she doesn't run from things that may make someone like her mother who is very not so great a little bit more put off and it's just it's a really nice reality. The only thing that I really didn't like about Claire was she was almost too perfect. I didn't even mind that she was super rational because she's a doctor. Everything has to have a purpose and everything has to have a price and like she totally gets that but I wish that she had messed up a little more often. I wish that she had shown a little bit more gray areas and been a little less perfect, making Claire a little bit more relatable. It doesn't make the book go down in my opinion, but it kind of does offer a little bit not too great a review in that one aspect because I like it when characters have flaws. I think it makes them much more complicated and much more complex and I think it really adds to the story. But what I did notice was she had two really good friends. and. Each of them had their own books before this. Josephine and Marie, both are women doctors. Both are very much involved in creating a life where their degree actually has purpose. Josephine is married to a peer of the realm, but she also uses her education to help. And she also makes it to where she's probably going to be in a little bit of animal husbandry as in a veterinarian because they live outside the city and they work with racing horses and stuff like that so it actually makes sense. Here's a part where I should say unequivocally I really don't like horse racing but I can put it aside when I'm reading it. I have a lot of issues with racing any animal for high, high, high purses. It's just not my thing. But I can appreciate the element in this story. I think the one thing that she probably could have done more with the women was maybe not make the mother so paint-by-the-numbers evil. She read a little bit like Cinderella's stepmother in the 19-whatever-Disney version. I wish that it had been a little bit more nuanced. Like I said before, I like a little bit of Grey Abel. I want to make sure the characters are believable. And the unequivocal racism and snobbery, it really didn't fit necessarily, especially as the family are Americans living in London. So that felt a little bit incongruent. I think overall she did a good job with the women. I definitely didn't hate that part. I actually thought it was pretty strong. As for being another character or, you know, similar to them, I haven't read it, but I was recently listening to the Boobies and Newbies podcast and they had a episode on Lisa Clypus's Hello Stranger and the lead in that book, uh, Dr. Garrett Gibson, reminded me a lot of Claire based on what they were talking about. There was a lot of crossover, which actually makes sense because women had to be a certain fortitude. Not just have it, but also be it. They had to survive things. They had to be willing to deal with whatever popped up in their way. And also, <laughs> oddly enough, Claire reminded me of Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. Yes, the 1990s TV character. But it was because both Quinn and Harlingford were both facing a lot of resistance from the male-dominated society. You know, where even going to Scotland Yard Because of something that was going on with her father. You know, she had to wait back and the men had to go discuss it. Even though she probably knew more about the company than the lawyer she had just hired. You know, there's a lot of that. And especially as a doctor, I think she faced a lot of resistance. And assuming that it was just a lark and it wasn't anything really important. Kind of like a more complicated way of getting a Mrs. Degree. Now, the hero of the story, I guess, well, protagonist, love interest, I'm not really sure how you put it is James Ravi Hovick, Hovick? I just call him Ravi. That's what he goes by in the book. He is half English. He is Lord Dillinghinge's second son, you know, spare heir. And he has an Indian princess mother. His mother was from the revolution. You know, she had to flee and his father did too. And so they returned back and, and the peerage was kind of back on. And now his brother, Sanjay is Lord Dillinghinge Dalhenge. I totally love Ravi. I think he was amazing. And here's what made me love him. This is a guy that very clearly wanted consent along the way. It did not matter what was going on except one scene, but I'll get to that in a minute. But very clearly, whatever they were doing, consent had to be a hundred percent. It couldn't be, oh, well, I guess I want to do this. I guess I don't want to do this. It was just very clear, very laid out. None of this was a big deal. And for me, that's huge to find in a romance novel, especially one during this era. There's a scene when they finally are having penetrative sex, and he wants this to be a very clear consent issue. And he says, but I need you to say yes, not just any yes. He lifted his head to stare at her with open eyes. I need a yes that you won't regret. I know it's not the best timing, but I have to be certain that you truly want this. He lifted his hands and cradled her face. She stared at him, knowing that he could see the uncertainty flash in her eyes. She railed against this step for so long with anyone That she knew he was right. Her body wanted this, needed to take this to his inevitable conclusion, but did she really truly want this? It would be so easy to close her eyes, say yes, and enjoy yourself. Damn you, she cursed quietly. He chuckled. I want your absolute consent. I can still leave. He shut his eyes on a long blink and then stared at her with those dark, overly perceptive eyes. It'd be almost impossible, but I could leave if you want me to. Eventually, she says yes, but there is a very clear indication of the kind of man he is, the kind of moral center he has, and the fact that he is not someone that is going to be an alpha hole or a dick to her. Like, that's a very clear indication of what he expects out of this relationship, and I think that's really important. As I mentioned, he's got his brother, Sanjai, And what I found really interesting about their relationship is, is there's a deal that Sunjai will not have kids, so therefore it is up to Ravi to have the kids. And the reasons for that are are pretty monumental moments within that time period. And I think that it's really important to note that. Now, (laughs) here's the meet cute and some of the other scenes that happen. So I can't really say how cute the meet cute is, Because they meet when Claire is on the hunt for a lawyer that her father's business has not had any dealings with before in order to find out why someone is setting him up for basically like, I guess you could say, betting against the races that doesn't happen through some pretty questionable means. And he gets caught and he's arrested by the police in the Scotland Yard Hence why she had to go sit in there and wait in the office while Ravi, who is her new lawyer, has to find out information. And she intended to get a higher level lawyer, but the law firm refused to give it to someone from, you know, American middle class. Even if they're rich as Croatians, they're still middle class. It's a very strong office visit and it's a very strong connection because they can see what's going on. And later, when she is in the East End visiting some of her patients that she's had to put off to deal with some of her father's stuff, and Ravi goes with her, he can see what she's doing and how she's doing it and why it's so important to her. But eventually she gets sick. She catches whatever's going around and they didn't exactly have the medicines that we have now. So it's pretty important that she finds some clean air according to her, her father. So he takes her to Sanjaya's house out in the country and she's there for a week or so I think. Maybe a little bit longer. Recuperating and she doesn't remember a lot of it because she was just so sick. And then she finds out what they're giving her and she's like ugh get this away from me. Understandably so. But while she's there, she also delivers babies um, from Sunjai's staff. But you can see how confident she is in those moments. And I think that's really important because it adds a level of equality within their relationship because Ravi is really, really smart in his law firm and in his legal knowledge. And I think that those kind of professions kind of balance each other out in times when society would consider them misfits and not welcome. There are definitely some well written sex scenes, the heat level probably stays around medium and by that I mean there's not a lot of erotic, but it's very well written. And it's something where you can follow the steps without having to question how does A to B to C to W to Y equal Q, you know? So you can definitely follow along, like I said they're really well written. I'm not a huge, like, sex scene fan, so I can't tell you that it's amazing, but I can tell you that the scenes after the sex, the uh, intrusions, and everything else, it really kind of solidifies it and makes it solid. Of course they end up together because it's a romance, and happily ever after is kind of guaranteed in that way. But what I really like is the fact that Claire lets go of her fears And her worries and her social obligations and kind of decides on her own what she wants to do and if it's worth it. Because he's in love with her already because it's been about a month that they've been kind of running around and doing things somewhere around there. And so he's kind of fallen for her, but she has waited to make statements because she wanted to know they were the truth. And I think that reads as very true to me. My favorite scenes actually weren't between them. And that has nothing to do with them. There were some amazing scenes. Like this scene really works when they're discussing the onion chutney and how it's a new experience for her. And it's a new way of finding things out about his past and what works and what doesn't work. And it's this amazing scene. And I also like the fact he calls her a minx. And it's not meant in a bad way. It's just meant in a really fun way. And it's one that's made with attention to detail kind of like how my fiance calls me research queen it's not to make fun of my love of research of academia it's to make it an inside thing and i think that's really important to have those kind of moments But what really kind of gets to me are the scenes where it talks about the world that is being built within Dahlia's um, view of how things were through research and through communicating with other people and of background where that would matter. And I think that some of my favorite scenes were ones that kind of indicated that what Claire saw was clearly Claire's world. There's a scene where Josephine is talking about Ravi and she calls him basically not English because he's not white. And, you know, as loyal as Claire is, that is not okay in her world because even though Josephine is one of her best friends and they are so close and so needed and they obviously need that bond in order to kind of survive in a world that doesn't have room for them, she will rightly put her best friend where she needs to be. And I think it's important to note that because it's not always easy to do the right thing. But there's also other scenes where instead of ignorant racism, there is... Pointed racism. And there's a scene with Claire's mother where they're discussing who Claire should marry, and Claire just kind of throws out Ravi just to kind of fluster her mom, and the reaction is very not good. And it's you will not. If nothing else will sway you from family duty, then think of the children. Excuse me? You can add milk to coffee, but it's still coffee underneath, said mother with a sneer. You make that sound like an insult, said Claire in her coolest, most polite, veneered voice. It is. You can't marry him. And it's very clear what's being said here. It's very obvious. And Claire is a people pleaser for her family. But even she can cut the line here and say bullshit. I think it's really important to note when someone says something and it's not for congratulations. It's simply because what is wrong is wrong and what is right is right. And you have to speak out about that. There's also a scene where Claire and Josephine are talking about the importance of love, marriage, and possibly having children. Women's careers, especially in that era, were pretty rare, especially against male professions. It somewhat means putting things on hold or running from anything that could feasibly cause a disruption and a very hard goal, something we still face as women today, so this is not abnormal. Josephine tells Claire that it's time to let fear go and to look beyond and to find something that is worthwhile. Because it is worth it for everything else. To be loved for who you are, to not be put in a box by society, but supported by someone who knows you and wants you for everything you are, that's why it's worth the risk. And I think that's a strong statement because as women, we kind of get a lot of mixed signals out there, and this one doesn't really offer that. And there's almost a level of understanding bitterness when Claire is thinking about it because she says, to find Nicholas who supported her, Josephine, Champion her, Josephine, loved her, Josephine, was a treasure to be held with great respect. It didn't stop that tense tingle of envy for her own situation, because at that point she doesn't think she can have a future. She doesn't see one with Ravi, because she's afraid to see it, and she's afraid to let go of the past. So... I should mention that there's a couple of stories and and lines in the book and some things I think probably could have been edited out, to be honest, or rearranged because I don't think they worked. I don't think the mystery of what was happening to her dad was necessarily a stronger storyline than the one about Claire being a doctor with a practicing office in 1888. I mean, hot damn. I would have enjoyed spending more time on, on that plot line, to be honest. But I will, I think I will reread it because I plan on buying the first two books in the series, Josephina Marie's stories, and to see how it connects and to see how it works. I think sometimes it went too fast or rather I should say like when the, the storylines didn't cross at the right roads, but I think it's a solid read. It's a pretty inclusive book because there's a whole lot of different representation found within the book. Some American, some English, some LGBTQ, some... Some gender role issues. I mean, there's a whole bunch of strange things that kind of mix and match really well in this. I'm definitely going to say that I'll read more of her work, obviously. I think that it's pretty fun. I think it's pretty interesting. I think there's some really smart things to be found. Definitely give it a time and really enjoy it. Okay. And the featured podcast is Boobies and Newbies. I've been waiting to do this one. It's a great podcast because Kelly kind of initiates new romance readers into the genre through erotic filled stories or hopefully erotic filled stories, because sometimes things don't turn out that way at all. But as she puts it as to think outside the dick in a box. And I'm like, so there for that kind of a description. You know, she's had a variety of guests, some that are screenwriters, some that are former roommates, you know, some that are working in the Hollywood industry, some that have been on reality shows. I mean, there's a great intersection of kind of L.A. connections there. And she provides pretty honest reviews as well. Like some of the books don't have sex like she thought they were and she just gets flabbergasted and I don't blame her. As to the guests, again, I don't blame them because that was the expectations on her erotic type idea. But I really enjoy listening to their communications, what they think. She provides a lot of breakdowns. Like there's, eventually there's like a three-prong breakdown on how much the guests like the writing. Like what they liked about it, what they didn't like about it. I think it's awesome that way. You can find it at Boobie Podcast. I keep wanting to say boobies, but it's not. It's Booby. B-O-O-B-I-E podcast on Twitter. That's why I'm always doing the wrong one. I definitely think you would enjoy Boobies and Newbies. It's just, it's a fun listen. If you are doing a commute, it's like the best one because it's a lot like Heaving Bosoms and it's a lot like Too Stupid to Live and there's a whole bunch of other ones where it just centers around the joy of reading even if the people on the show don't read a whole lot. Okay, guys. That's the end of the episode. Seriously, it was very short today, right? I know, I'm impressed. Here's what we learned. Women doctors are a boss. Sex should be consensual. This is not news. Boobies and newbies is a great fun ride. Make of that with what you will. I'll let Kelly do the little laughter there. It's getting to be the holiday season and I want everyone to have a good season. Therefore, news. In the month of December, I'm going to try and put at least three podcast episodes together. It may be kind of difficult because there's a lot going on in life right now. But I'm going to try and do it. One of them will feature Creature. He will be back. Sven will be back. Because I'm making him read a horrible, horrible book. Because I'm the best fiancé ever. That's going to be the Christmas Day episode. And we've got some bonus features for that one. You can find this podcast on Twitter, Instagram, when I remember Instagram. Sorry about that, y'all. Facebook at damselspodcast. We also have a Patreon. If you donate, awesome. If you don't, I completely understand. Still new at this. And that's at Damsel's Podcast. So it's patreon.com slash damselspodcast. If you want to get in touch with me, you can also catch me at damselspodcast at gmail.com. Twitter is pretty good right now because retail hell is starting up and that means my job is going to be kind of increasing as people get ready for holiday parties and such. I really want you guys to tell me what you think, let me know, wreck me books. This is the 10th episode, you can see exactly what I like to read. If you guys know of a book that I should absolutely be reading, let me know. I want to review books and I want you guys to have an input too. So. That's my little call out for the day, my call to action. I really hope you guys have fun listening to this. I hope you enjoyed it. And this will be edited by Creature because (laughs) retail hell is on the way. So if you guys have any kind of questions, let me know. If you like this, rate it on iTunes. I'm not sure how that still works on the scheme of things on a smaller indie podcast, but we've got a pretty awesome podcasting community for indies out there, and I think that it's really important to note that. Thanks, guys. Bye!